Many of us have plans, many of us have goals, even promises from God, but sometimes life just interrupts them. Years ago when Tom Landry was the head of the Dallas Cowboys, he was fired, sort of found out about it in the newspaper, and he told his friend Chuck Swindoll, he wasn't really worried about it, and he said to him, it's okay if you are prepared. Some things in life we can prepare for. Some of you have done things, you know, maybe schooling or something like that you've prepared for for years, but other things you're just not prepared for or you don't think you are. They just seem to come upon us. How many of you thought this year would turn out like this year? None of us. Yet for a follower of Jesus, looking back in the rearview mirror, we often see that God has been preparing us all along for what we are going through. The title of our message today is God's Preparation for His Promises, a uh, part of a new series called Venturing into the Unknown. Venturing into the Unknown. As uh, the world right now finds itself in a similar situation where we are venturing into the unknown. So really, this is nothing new. It's just a different time period. We set the scene that that the Bible presents us with a creator God who's on a mission. He has created people in his image And we are to rule, probably a better word in our vocabulary, is to care for his earth. We are to obey what he tells us to do. And we are to be a blessed people. But humanity, we we blew it and we rebelled against God. And in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise that through the seed of a woman, now normally you say the seed comes from the man, through the seed of a woman, that our rebellion would be overruled. Now, the results of mankind's rebellion are all throughout history, for sure, but they're specifically recorded in the Scripture in chapters 3 through 11, climaxing in what we know as the Tower of Babel, which was, if you will, mankind's unified arrogance and rebellion against God. It's like they all got together and said, all right, we've had it with God. We're going to fix him, and we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do. And this was a time of great confusion uh, and darkness in the world. It was a time of, of hopelessness for many. And after that, people were scattered and living without God. Very similar to what you might say goes on in our world today, as there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of hopelessness. There are a lot of people that are scattered and living without God. But you think after God setting the people up in the world and after the rebellion and after all that was, you know, going on and then they, they really, all the people get together decide to rebel against God, you think that God would back on his word. You think that God would call it quits. Most of us would, wouldn't we? <laughs> We'd be like, that's it. And he, he is in so long. But instead of that, God calls a man named Abram, uh, He'll be called, his name will be called, changed to Abraham, so I'll be using those names interchangeably. And his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah, again, I'll use those names interchangeably. 
And he calls them to take the world in a new direction. Traditionally, if you've studied this group of passages before, you have began the study in chapter 12 with what we call the call of Abram. But in chapter 11, I think what we see is the beginning of the call. We see actually it begins with God's answer to the rejection of mankind and the rejection of God. And it's interesting God answers mankind's rejection with grace. Now, grace is an interesting term. If you can, I know there's catchy ways to define it, but if you can really define it, I would either say that you're a better man or woman than me, that's not saying much, but, or that perhaps you haven't fully understood it. I hope that I never fully understand the grace of God. I'm, I'm looking forward to the lifelong discovery of what the grace of God means for me and for those around me. Because the reality is, grace makes no sense. And I would say this, if you expect it, it's not grace. Because <laughs> grace comes to you at the most unexpected of times. Abram was such an important figure to so many people. How many people claim ownership of him? Judaism does. Islam does. Christianity does. That is a significant portion of the world. And now, at this point in time in history, Abram becomes the man of God's new beginnings. And his life, I think, reminds us how quietly God is often preparing his people, even when life seems completely hopeless. So let's go back a few thousand years, and let's look at this man. Verse 27, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram. Uh, that name means father. He will become Abraham, which means father of many nations. So he's going he's gonna to become a big deal. So Terah begot Abram. This means that Terah had a son named Abram. Nahor and Haran. So there's three brothers. Haran begot Lot. We're going to see more of Lot as we go through the life of Abraham. Verse 28, and Haran died before his father, Terah. So now there's, there was three brothers. Now there's two. Terah has lost his son. In his native land, Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, Chaldeans are, we, we've studied this in our Old Testament studies. Those are the Babylonians. When we hear of Ur of the Chaldeans, sometimes we think of some of these Bible characters of just these guys that are out in the middle of nowhere all the time. So Abraham was a city boy. He started out as a city boy in Ur. So here we have three brothers, and two of them have the experience of the horrible, premature death of their brother. Some in our congregation in the spring and even recently have experienced the loss of a brother or sister. For their father... Terah, and by the way, Lot lost his father. Maybe that explains some of the things about Lot. I don't know. 
For their father, Terah, he experienced what I'm told is perhaps the greatest pain in all of life. He lost a child. Many people in our congregation have lost children. And I would include in that all of you or the people in our congregation who have had abortions and now you wish you hadn't, who have had miscarriages. Very, very painful. Now you say, but, but if he had a son named Lot, he was a grown man, Pastor Jim. Some of you know the story of my uncle's funeral. My uncle was 66. He was, I actually grew up in the same town with him, and he was cutting the lawn, and he just dropped dead on the front lawn while he was cutting the lawn. My grandmother, who lived to be just short of 99, just short of 100, she died like 99 in 10 months or something like that. She had 13 brothers and sisters. She grabbed me at my uncle's funeral and held on to me tightly. And I'll never forget this. She said to me, I, I buried my mother and father. I buried 13 brothers and sisters and every single one of their spouses. I buried two husbands. But nothing in my life, nothing has ever hurt like this. You know, when I was a younger follower of Jesus, I had, I had great answers for that stuff. I had great theological answers that were correct, but not worth a hill of beans to hurting people. Not helpful at all to hurting people. I mean, personally, I have gone through losing my own father. I lost my little sister. I've lost several, several close friends. And the pain, well, to be honest with you, it's prepared me in an odd way. Certainly, each death and each sorrow has made me softer, less hard-charging, I think. And certainly, each one of those has made me learn how to cling to God more. Verse 29 says, Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Then verse 30, which I think is the key verse to this section. But Sarai was barren. What does that mean? We're told she had no child. So, more pain in the family. The pain of a husband and wife who want children uh, but who are unable to have them. Truly a test of faith. You know, I can remember as a, as a young boy, some of you know this about my family, some of you don't. Uh, after I was born, about six months after I was born, my mother got sick and she had an operation and was no longer to have any more children. My understanding is that today that would be a routine operation and it would be fine. And I could remember the stress that my parents were going through. I could see it on their faces, and they were prepping me for the interviews for when the adoption agency would come for my brother and sister to come live with us. Historically, in their culture, not to have children, there was great shame associated with that. 
You know, I, I've heard sermons about it uh, that seemingly think that people who want to have children and don't have them today don't feel any sense of, of, of shame or sadness about that, like it's, like it's all okay. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like a typical sermon a man would give. Or you're not supposed to question God, you're supposed to just have faith. I, I think if you watched our sermons on the Psalms that you real, over the summer, you realize that a lot of the Bible writers had a lot of questions to God. They had a lot of things that they weren't too happy about, and they let God know about it. And God's a big boy. He can handle it. Once again, when people can't have children, there are great theological answers. Great for Bible college, great for seminary, great for maybe a Sunday school class, but not helpful for people going through such pain. It's an individual pain. Breaks your heart. Just as having kids breaks your heart. <laughs> they break your heart whether you have them or whether you don't. <laughs> One thing we see in, in Genesis, it's very odd that that and even throughout the scripture, that, that not being able to have kids is actually fairly typical in the Messiah's line. It's fairly typical of Jesus' family line. Sadly, it was often considered to be the woman's fault why, in reality, they need God's help, as do all of us. Well, what's their faith like? You wonder, what is their faith like at this time? Well, Joshua actually tells us at the very end of his book, Joshua 24, 2 says that Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, this is a long time after Abraham and Sarah, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Particularly in that area, they served the moon god. The moon god. So let's be honest. At the outset, Abraham was an unbeliever. Let's be more honest. Abraham was raised a pagan. <laughs> I think it's a great reminder to all of us that the, your background in which you grew up in and where you came from doesn't change God's plan for your life. A lot of times when we would do outreaches, I would talk to people and I would say, well, you, did you come from any kind of religious upbringing? And a lot of people would say, no, nothing, not at all. I would say, oh, good for you. <laughs> they would look at me like I was crazy. But I would say, you don't have all the bad stuff you need to undo. You're a clean slate. I said, can I tell you a simple 60-second story about Jesus? Yeah, sure. Verse 31, and Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot. Abram will become, step in as someone, some sort of a, a father figure for his uh, brother's son, the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son, Abram, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. So that's the plan. They're going to go to the promised land. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So they stop. They don't go all the way to the promised land. They come to this land of Haran. They stop there. Verse 32, so the days of Terah were 205 years. The ages are 
in, in the book of Genesis, they, get, they seem very old, but they're getting younger and younger as the book is moving on. And Terah died in Haran. So Terah sets out with his family to Canaan, Mesopotamia, the, the promise. But he stops in Haran, and he stops there. I wonder why. Just kind of questions I ask myself when I study the scripture. Why? Was the pain of life too much for him? Did he lose the will to go on? I mean, it's easy for that to happen, isn't it? It's easy to lose the will to go on. It's easy to, to start to think, do I want to continue on? Those of you who are older and you have the possibility of retiring, you probably wake up a lot of mornings and go, do I want to still keep doing this? Then you get out the door and you're like, I'm kind of glad I'm still doing this. What would I do if I didn't do this? It's the up and down emotions and stuff like that. This is why as we studied over the summer on Sundays, we need to abide in Christ. Otherwise, we'll be left to our own devices making silly, silly decisions. Was it compromise? Was it, was it when he went to this other place? Was, it, was the pull of the other gods too strong for him? Was he too weak to seek after the living God? I don't know. Either way, right now, when you look at his family, the Tower of Babel has scattered everybody. His family is at a dead end. It seems like the world is at a dead end with God. And he dies, and so will his family's name. That's why there was the importance of having a son. And there is no son to carry on his name. While it was his father that took Abraham from Ur, it will be his heavenly father that Abraham must follow now. Now, we don't really get this from Genesis. We get it later on. We'll read it in a second. The book of Acts that Abraham had heard the call to leave his family and their religion earlier and he was confronted with this. No longer can family and prosperity be more important than the Lord. And these are the things, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to encounter. I mean, you're going to go do things that your family is going to think is absolutely ridiculous. They're going to think that you're crazy. And in some ways you are. From their perspective, it makes no sense. I, I got a real good sense of this on Friday night. Uh, Friday night, Pam and I watched, if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie, uh, the, the Jeremy Camp movie that came out with the, with the death of his first wife. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. But uh, I, so I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, which I always look up, see how it does there, if you know that, that website. And the critics gave it like this pathetically low score. Like it was pathetic. And the audience gave it 98%. So what does that tell you? We're different. 
we are different people. We look at the world differently. People looked at that movie, and critics looked at it, and were like, this is baloney. I mean, get the tissues out for this one, trust me. But, but people are like, this is, this is a horrible movie. It's not good at all. It's not worth your time. And the people who, of faith who watched it said, wow, this was really something. This is really something. Now, if you're watching it and you think, oh, I don't know about this, I think the last scene with his father is probably worth the price of admission. After Jesus died, father, by the way, a Calvary Chapel pastor, when, um, after Jesus died and rose from the dead and descended to heaven, in the New Testament book of Acts, when the early church is really rolling, Stephen is talking to the religious leaders. It says this, Acts 7, 2 through 4, And he, Stephen, said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So this is back in chapter 11. And said to him, Get out of your country. <laughs> we might say run. And from your relatives. Very interesting. Family was everything to these people. He says, You need to leave your land and your family and come to a land that I will show you. <laughs> now, how many of us will do that? Lord, where are we going? I'll show you. <laughs> right? Lord, what's the plan? I'll show you. <laughs> what's going to happen when we get there? I'll show you. <laughs> how am I going to feed everybody? I'll show you. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I'll show you. <laughs> you know, that's what it means to follow God. That's what it means to follow Jesus, that you're just going to follow him where he takes you. Verse 4, Then he came, Stephen goes on, Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from there when his father was dead, watch this, he, God, moved him to this land in which you now dwell. Perhaps the experience of of moving from Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran taught Abraham, prepared him to move again. We just moved. We still live in the area. Pam and I are both like, we're dying in this house. <laughs> of course, unless God tells us we got to move again. Often, God's calls are costly calls. To leave the comfortable for the uncomfortable. Now, if that strikes you as being the wrong thing to say, that's because that is not the American way. We don't follow God to, for less comfort. We don't do anything for less comfort. We do everything that we do for more comfort. You say, explain that, Pastor Jim. Well, rarely do we seek the counsel of God. Most people rarely, rarely do. If so, it's, a, it's really a, a, a passing thing. You know, when Pam and I discussed moving, it was something that God had laid on both of our hearts for quite a while. That had to do with our house and, and how it affects my illness. If you don't know, I have a neurological disorder. So, so it, it had to do with that. I remember when I first was in my basement on a Saturday morning and 
really knew that God was calling me to sell parts of my company. I had a few different business units and to sell them and to, and to go into ministry and came upstairs and Pam was there with her Bible and I sat on the ottoman and she was in the chair and I said, you know, I, I really think that God wants me to sell parts of our company or all of it and, and to pursue the ministry which I knew my family and friends and my accountant and everybody would think was the big, I had this really great business. They were like, what an idiot you are. I'd finally gotten to the point in time where I had the staff that was really allowing me to live a little bit. And so I told Pam that, and I was, you know, expecting for her to be like, what, are you crazy? And she kind of glanced at me, and she was like, I think the Lord told me about that about six months ago. <laughs> and then she was like, can I keep doing my quiet time? <laughs> You know, but, but we don't really seek the counsel of the Lord. We don't really seek the counsel of wise followers of Jesus who are our friends. You know, we want to hear something almost comical. Do you know that years ago, people used to actually go talk to their pastor before they made big decisions? That is like almost never happens. I've asked a lot of pastors about that. That like almost never happens. You see, and you say, well, pastors aren't so smart. Well, part of it is, uh, and, and I can't say that to you because unless you've done this, you haven't experienced this. Some of you have, have said to me, like, oh, thank you for that wise counsel you gave us. And when you were originally telling me, me your issue, I was sitting there saying to the I'm listening to you nodding my head, and I'm saying to the Lord, I have no idea what to say. <laughs> and then the Lord just would give me something to say, or I would say something that was, I guess, from the Lord. And, and so it used to be that way. Now, this is what we do. We just tell God our plan, and we expect him to bless it. We'll, we'll couch it in, oh, he's calling me to do this, but, but, but not really. As we'll see next week, God called Abraham to a new life and service to God away from the false gods of his past. And so sometimes God calls us away from the false gods that we have. It was God's plan to preserve a family line all the way from Adam to Abram and then all the way to Jesus Christ. And while at this point, to this point, they seem to have a very hard life what is God doing? God is preparing them for his plan. God is preparing them for greatness, which in a sense they won't even really get to see. A great text for us in the New Testament, the Christian life, is Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. We cite it often, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So you get the forgiveness of sins and eternal life by God's grace through faith. It's not that you did anything about it. It's the gift of God. Now, is salvation the gift of God or is the faith the gift of God? Exactly. Verse 9, you said, oh, but isn't it being a good person? No, verse 9 says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't be like, oh, I did such good stuff. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, those, those two verses are for you. You need to grab a hold of it by faith. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to remember it. <laughs> and then after that, what comes next? 
See, it's salvation comes first, then good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Watch this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, can you tell me what are the good works that God has prepared for you? Can you tell me what they are? It's quite possible they're staring you at the fa- in the face and me in the face every day. We just don't see them, or we just don't want to do them, or we just don't feel led to do them when we're really just not doing them. So what, what are the things that God has called for you to do? You say, I don't know, Pastor Jim. Well, neither do I, but I do know this. I do know they have been prepared for you because he just told us. And I do know that, if God, that God has prepared you for these good works, whatever they are. That's, you know, it's raising children, being a good worker. There's all kinds of different things with that. But I know that he has prepared them for you, and I know he is preparing you for them. He is preparing me for them. He is constantly preparing us for these good works that he has for us to do. You see, God didn't explain to Abraham and Sarah why life was so painful for them. He didn't explain to them why, why he was moving them out of their comfort zone into the uncomfortable zone. Now, if you've read chapter 12 and onwards in, in Abraham's life, you say, oh, no, no, I know the answer to that one, Pastor Jim. God told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. <laughs> I could just imagine Abraham saying to his wife, yeah, we're going to be a great nation. She's like, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. God didn't explain it to them. He didn't explain to them why, that, why they were living in a season following the Tower of Babel, why they were living in a dark season of the world. He didn't explain to them why they were living in a season of hopelessness. He didn't explain to them exactly what the future held. He simply did this. He said, I'm going to show you, and all I'm asking you for is faith. That's all I'm, I'm asking you to trust me in this. God called them to venture into the unknown, holding on to God, trusting that God is holding on to them. But notice, they moved, they stopped, and they're going to be called to move again. God is going to say to them, no more moving halfway. Now it's time to move all the way. And I think that's probably a word for some, if not all of us. Maybe in our lives, we've only moved halfway. And maybe we've grown content in moving halfway. And God wants us for something greater, what he's prepared us for, and he has prepared, been preparing us for to go all the way, a time to walk by faith. No more halfway faith. God is calling us to all the way faith. Right now, I believe with all the uncertainty in our country and all of the uncertainty in our world, God is not calling his people to crawl under a rock, but God is calling his people to the same thing. 
I know that I've talked to a lot of people over the times of this pandemic and told them that I was a pastor of a church. I cannot believe, normally people go, oh, like cooties. <laughs> if you don't know what cooties are, ask your parents. But now you know what people say? I need to visit your church sometime. Very different. Very different. That's why we published that thing online about how we wanted to reopen because we want to make your friends and your family feel comfortable. And I, I've been so blessed by people that have said to me, I, don't, I'll, I want to come every week, but I don't need to sit in the room where the service is. I'll sit anywhere. I'll listen to it in, my, in a car in, my park, in the parking lot or something like that because I want others to hear the good news of Jesus. You see, the key element here to me is that God's preparation is often unseen and often unexplainable and, yes, very often uncomfortable and very often confusing. Right now, we have, for all of us, the promises of God over here, and we have reality, right? And there seems to be an incredible disconnect between the two of them. Absolutely incredible. It, it, it seems in many ways like God's promises are crumbling right before our eyes. That, that the world or the country is crumbling right before our eyes. Yes, yet God has a plan and a purpose and continued promises for you and for our church he really does. The story of Abraham is really the story of God's faithfulness to restore faith in his people and faith in the nations. Abraham will teach us the blessings of walking by faith. And he will also demonstrate for us the misery of when we don't. Abraham will teach us that quite often, even the unrealized promises of God will fuel our soul. That's because committed followers of Jesus Christ know that God is in control of this crazy place we call earth, where much of what happens he hates, but he is in control. He really is in control. From a human perspective, it was Terah who took Abraham, his son, from his homeland. But from the heavenly perspective, it was not at all. It was actually the relentless love of God for his creation that human history will run through this man's family. From a human perspective, the death of Terah looked like the family line had ended without Abraham having a son. From a human perspective, it looked like Abraham and Sarah would never have a son to carry on the family name and to carry on the messianic line. From a human perspective, it looked like the Tower of Babel would pull the world apart 
that it was all over. But God restored hope through Abraham. Why? Grace. Grace. And the Lord invites you, if you've never put your trust in him, despite your past, despite your rebellion, despite your upbringing, despite anything, the Lord invites you to put your trust in him, to have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He invites you to the cross of Jesus Christ where you can meet God personally. Why? Grace. that makes sense to you it makes none to me it really doesn't you see it tells us in the New Testament in Hebrews eleven ten, that Abraham waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God see he was living in this earth but he was also seeing beyond this earth friend what are you waiting for are you just living for this life? Because right now, it's not so hot. I'm not saying we don't enjoy this life, but part of enjoying what's coming will help us enjoy this life. We will certainly see that Abraham was not a perfect man. And his hope was ultimately in one thing, that God would send And he did when Abraham was a very old man, as we'll learn, and his wife was a very old woman, and his name was Isaac. That was Abraham's hope, but that's our hope too. But ours is different. Our hope is that God did send a son. They knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We'll see next week, like Abraham, Jesus left the comfort and security and glory of his home to come to earth. Jesus came to live a perfect life in an imperfect world. He came to die a sinner's death, which he did not deserve. He died it in our place. And he rose from the dead. And he did it for you. And he did it for me in obedience to his father. Remember, Abraham lost his father and then moved on to the step that God had for him. Remember, on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus lost his father so you and I could become adopted children of his father and enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 8:32 the apostle Paul write, he God who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all there's your cross how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. I mean he's like if God would do that why what makes you think he's not going to fulfill everything else he has for you. So the question with that becomes do you believe it? In Genesis 15, 7, 
It says, then he, God said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Was it your father? To give you this land to inherit. You see, God was preparing Abraham long in advance of where he got to and what the future would be. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Lord has and is preparing you for his promises. And if you're not, I remember walking into a church like this, hearing a Bible study. I was just a guest of someone. And being strangely drawn to the message, I couldn't believe I was actually paying attention. Now looking back on it, God had prepared me for that day. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you're here, whether you're in another location, or whether you're watching us online, God has prepared you for this day that if you're willing to put your trust in Jesus, he will forgive your sins and adopt you as a child, begin to calm your fears, and he promises to bring you home. All the work has been done by God. God so loved the world, he gave us Abraham. God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. Our responsibility is simply to turn to God, put our trust in Jesus, and follow. Do we know where in this life? No, we don't. You can be fearful, you can be hesitant, or you can enjoy the ride. <laughs> Do we know where we're going for eternity? You better believe it. To a city whose builder and maker is God. Let's stand and pray.